Hello and welcome to Hawkeye Nation. This is Hotcast, your Iowa football, basketball, and recruiting podcast brought to you by Go Iowa Awesome and Rivals.com. I'm your recruiting analyst and host, Elliot Clough, at Elliot Clough on Twitter, joined by yeah, the one and only Adam Jacoby. He's a publisher at uh, Go Iowa Awesome, at Adam underscore Jacoby on Twitter. Go give him a follow for men's football, of course, women's basketball beat writer as well. They are headed out to Charlotte take on Virginia Tech in an early top 10 matchup. That is, I'm going to have you interject. Friday? Today? It's today. It's today. It's today. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> yeah, they are, uh, they're, they're flying out to Charlotte. And um, I think it's going to be a, a pretty interesting matchup. Iowa is favored by, I want to say, three and a half points against the Hokies, uh, who are one of the, other three final four teams from Dallas last year. This is a this is going to be a really big time matchup. And Virginia Tech is pretty similar to Iowa insofar as, you know, they've got a great center. They've got a backcourt uh, player who is not dissimilar to, to Caitlin Clark in terms of her offensive abilities, step back jumpers. Uh, and um, oh, I'm blanking on her name. Uh, Whitley, I want to say the, the the big for the Hokies. 6-6 has a fadeaway jumper that is going to be next to impossible to defend. So Iowa has a big challenge in front of it uh, going up against this matchup, especially here in the second game of the year. So obviously the Hawkeyes themselves pose a whole lot of challenges for Virginia Tech as well. I, uh, you know, the discussion begins with Caitlin Clark, but as we saw against FDU, there are so many other weapons and so many players that have improved on this team from last year. You know, it's it's going to be very, very interesting to see how Iowa matches up against a marquee opponent like this. I'm very excited for it. While we're on it, uh, I think I saw that Goodman, Sharon Goodman, started instead of Addison O'Grady in this last game. Do you think that's something that's going to continue here especially with with such a big matchup in in the interior that's a good question and something that we tried to get a few answers from uh, coach bluter on wednesday about because as you know it was a little bit unexpected uh, o'grady had started the two exhibition games and was generally seen as the front runner to start at the five this season uh, replacing monica zanano but we also saw some really good play from Goodman in those exhibitions, too. And crucially, we saw not a lot of mistakes from Goodman. We saw some really steady play. And there were instances where, like, Caitlin Clark would try to find O'Grady with a little pocket pass in the interior, like in the post. And O'Grady just wouldn't be looking for it because she wouldn't be open <laughs> by the uh, by the traditional definition of it. and and. So she wouldn't be expecting the ball and that would create a turnover or, you know, a, a loose ball. And that happens less often with Goodman. So I think the cohesion is a little bit better between Clark and Goodman than it is between Clark and O'Grady. And that probably has something to do with the fact that Goodman has started the first game of the season. But I asked Coach Bluter about it on Wednesday about, you know, does the fact that Goodman being this back to the basket, you know, the biggest player on the floor for Iowa, does all of that present some challenges against more athletic bigs, especially in the Big Ten where there's so many of them? And Coach Bluter said, yeah, it is going to be the challenge. So 
you know, not a lot of sugar coating there. And it'll be very interesting to see if Goodman's recovery from injury and, and from the knee surgeries that she's had, it'll be interesting to see if she's gotten far enough back from that, that she can hang defensively against these bigs that are going to be closer to say Angel Reese in terms of athleticism, uh, even like a Mackenzie Holmes would have presented some challenges to Goodman last year. I'm curious to see whether or not that's going to continue this year too. Going into those really big games, that's where it all starts is, is in the paint for, for Iowa specifically because well, their star is is on the perimeter in, in Caitlin Clark, obviously. Um, you mentioned a few names to watch going into this season. Man, I, I I know you were there, but for people who are watching, listening, that layup by Molly Davis as the time expired, I, I think it was swatted away by uh, Sydney. I don't know how to pronounce her a last name. Yeah. A falter. Um, yeah. And and Molly just kind of threw it up and went in it. And, and that's been the story for Molly over these first few games of the season, including those exhibitions. Yeah, she has really taken a step up, not only in terms of she's always flashed a good basketball IQ, but she is more assertive, more confident, and creating her own shot as opposed to trying to facilitate for the players around her. I think some of that has to do with the fact that Monica Zanano is no longer on the team and is no longer, you know, focal point 1A of this offense. And so now that it's a little bit clearer that, you know, Davis, who was a, a very good scorer at central Michigan before she transferred to Iowa. Let's, let's be clear here. This is not entirely brand new territory for Davis, but it's one thing to do it at a max school. It's another thing to do it at a top five and probably going to be top two team um, at on, on next week's poll. And so she really has taken that step up, and the fact that she's able to turn that basketball IQ into production, into those sorts of, like, how did she know to be there plays, that makes such a difference in terms of your team playing winning basketball versus losing basketball, right? Having somebody on the floor, uh, and in some instances, when she's on the floor with Kate Martin, having two players on the floor who are making those right place, right time, right decision type of plays. And that makes Caitlin Clark's job so much easier. It makes Hannah Stelke's job that much easier. Uh, it means that Gabby Marshall is going to be open in the corner more often, right? All of these things get facilitated more easily when you've got great, smart players like that on the floor. Molly Davis qualifies, Kate Martin qualifies, and that's going to make things so easy for Iowa. Game is Thursday tonight. I take it it's on some streaming platform. Inform us. Oh, wise one. <laughs> no, no, no. I mean, this is, at, at the very least, this isn't, you know, 2002. Um, this the, the game is on ESPN2, uh, which is great. And, and probably, you know, you're not going to get Caitlin Clark out to Charlotte in early November for the Peacock Network. You know what I mean? Oh. Like... Right. Right. <laughs> You're not getting them on the plane uh, 72 hours before they have to go to the Unidome or, or excuse me, to the McLeod Center and uh, a pretty spicy UNI team for what I understand. Right. Like there's there's big money involved in something like that. So, yep. ESPN2, uh, 7 p.m. Central Standard Time uh, tip off. Looking forward to it.
Speaking of you and I, Grace Buffelli, preseason MVC player of the year, and she is a center. So, name to watch in that game uh, coming up against the Panthers. Now, moving on a little bit to another game this weekend. This one is in Iowa City. The Hawkeyes, they take on Rutgers in Kinnick Stadium. Is that a 2.30 kick? I know nothing, clearly, about anything that's happening with Iowa sports today. It is a 2.30. Okay. (laughs) It's on the Big Ten Network. So, that's you can get that on the TV. Yes. Clearly flying by the seat of my pants right now in crossover territory between football and, and men's basketball, along with recruiting and all the things that come along with that. But the Hawkeyes, seven and two, take on six and three Rutgers and Greg Schiano this weekend. And well, I didn't expect the uh, the the Scarlet Knights to be six and three at this point in time in the season, especially when we previewed the year. I definitely counted this as an automatic win, as I did with Northwestern, but here we are coming a week off that game where the Hawkeyes take a three-point victory. Now, Rutgers, they've won against a bunch of bad teams. Well, they beat Northwestern, for example. They beat Wagner, of course. Wagner's like the worst team in all of college football. And then, I, I, I prefer to pronounce it Wagner. Oh, <laughs> you know, as a composer. <laughs> right, yeah. And they beat Michigan State. Just a lot of either bad to really bad teams and then their losses are to wisconsin and then michigan and ohio state right you and i were just talking before we started recording you said the most you've really watched of them is is either before the game or or after iowa plays and i haven't seen squad from them really other than looking at their stats and in preparation for this pod i mean just right off the bat Wins and losses-wise, they're a really tough team to gauge. Like, is this a team that's potentially dangerous against Iowa? Like, literally every other team in the FBS. Is this a team that could come in and and get their really first quality win? I mean, what are we looking at here? Like, it sounded like you agreed with me there. Yeah, to to some extent, there is – there's a big top half of that Rutgers schedule that the Scarlet Knights obviously struggled with. And there's a really, really soft underbelly too, uh, with our, our boys, the flying Valkyries of Wagner university. Um, there, there is one game that I think is a little bit instructive and it was in week three when Rutgers hosted Virginia tech and just monstered them. Um, 35 to 16 was the final score, but like it was 21-3 at the half. Rutgers was very clearly the better team. And so that is an indication that that offense knows how to score some points against teams that, you know, at, at the very least have a pulse in power five play. Now, Virginia Tech is not the 2002 Virginia Tech. Uh, it is questionable whether or not they make it to a bowl game this year, right? But that said, they're also not 0-9, right? They're they're 4-5, and and they've got a pulse. So the fact that Rutgers not only beat them, but beat them by 19 is instructive, but it's also, you know, instructive that they lost at Camp Randall by double digits. Iowa won there. Um, Beat Michigan State by three points and, and had a really, really tough time with that one, too. So... I do think Rutgers is a little bit below Iowa in terms of quality, in terms of what we can see on the, you know, from their wins and losses thus far. Uh, in terms of the guys that they put on the field, 
one thing that we've seen Iowa struggle with and, and really Phil Parker defenses struggle with at times over the last decade is dual threat QBs. And Rutgers has this guy, uh, Gavin Wimsat, I want to say. Um, I, again, like, I don't know how to pronounce it because the TVs are always on mute whenever we're in right. a press box. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> that's true. <laughs> uh, but it, it, I'm like, not sure it's Wimsat. Anyway. Who nationally talks about Rutgers either? Like, that, that's there's right. no way we would get that information from, like, ESPN or something. Yeah. He's, I mean, he's an interesting guy to watch when you do get a chance to watch him. Uh, he is, uh, he he looks like a running back playing quarterback uh, and is completing less than 50% of his passes. Like his rating isn't that great, but that dual threat aspect to it, as well as uh, Kyle Monangai, again, always on mute. <laughs> Wouldn't know how to pronounce it. Uh, you, you know, he's, he's a really capable running back and uh uh, both Wimsett and Monangai have seven touchdowns on the year. So, I mean, we're we're talking about real threats, especially in the red zone, to turn three-point drives into seven-point drives. And the last thing Iowa needs when it's continually playing close games is to face a, a weapon who can turn those three-point drives into seven-point drives. Or in terms of, like, moving the chains, a punt drive from a field goal – or from a punt drive to a field goal drive, Right those points just start to like bubble up out of nowhere. And if Iowa isn't prepared for that, if, uh, you know, if some calls on defense aren't, you know, going perfectly, again, that's all it can take when the margin of error is so small. If you said, as you've said all year, when the, when the offense creates such a low margin of error for defense and special teams, you get a dual threat QB on the field. And it's it's pretty choppy waters, even for Iowa's defense. So very interested to see how Phil Parker schemes around Wimsat and makes sure that Iowa isn't stressing its cornerbacks too much, stressing its linebackers too much, or how they do that. You mentioned field goals. I've got their kicker stats up here. He is 11 of 13 from uh, – from the field, I guess. He's 11 of 13 this season, 84%. Six of six inside the 20s, one of two between the 30 or in the 30 yard to 39 yard range, three of three, 40 to 49, one of two, 50 plus. So that'd probably be where typically we see those punt to field goal differences. He's one of two mm -hmm. from deep. So not a really great indication as to what that would look like for Rutgers in terms of special teams and how they approach that this year. But you mentioned Monangai, um 5.4 yards per carry, 904 yards rushing so far this season, I believe I saw. And so they're getting it not only from their dual threat quarterback, but from their running back too. And that clearly shows they prioritize the offensive line. You mentioned the passing. He's got a eight touchdowns to five interceptions ratio, which isn't great. So yeah. And I looked at their defense. They don't have stars on their defense. It's all like even across the board in terms of tackles, interceptions, tackles for loss, sacks. It's a whole lot of decent players on the uh, on the defensive side of the, of the field. And speaking of defense, Iowa matching up with this team that does run the ball well. Iowa's 32nd in the country in run defense at this point in time. So we'll we'll see how that goes. Of course, they matched up with Minnesota 
Minnesota had a great running game. Um, or they typically do under, I think it's, I'm already forgotten his name. They're starting running back who came out, came back Darius Taylor. Oh gosh. I, I've already forgotten his name too. Cause yeah. I, I, I still <laughs> always want to say it's Mo Ibrahim, but he's already right. in the NFL at this finally after about 17 years in Minneapolis. Uh, oh gosh. What was the, yeah. But to your point, yes, typically a, a great stellar running game for the Gophers. That is the one thing PJ Flex figured out about the big 10 West. And so you've followed Iowa closely longer than I have. Greg Schiano years. This is his second time around in Piscataway. Is it a similar team to what you've seen before? Is he like Kirk Ferentz where he doesn't change his modus operandi in coaching football and how the team plays football? Well, yes and no. Uh, Schiano is not really a prisoner of his scheme per se, right? That like they haven't always had a dual threat QB like Wimsat on the field. And clearly he knows how to use a dual threat when he's got one. Uh, but you know, he's also a guy who coached Ray Rice and used Rice to really effective uh ends his first time around. And Monning guy, you know, is sort of the uh bell cow in that um backfield, but he's also not the offense the way that Wimsett is, right? So Shiano knows how to cater or or how to um, curate his offense to the personnel that he's got on the field, which is the mark of a successful coach, and, and he's got the record to prove it. So that all said, he does have that sort of NFL light, steady Eddie approach that Kirk Ferentz does too. And you saw him, you know, move to the NFL as a result of that. And that's why, you know, back in, especially the um, early to mid 2000s, the NFL was trying to beat down Kirk's door because they saw a system that would translate very well to the pro level. So you're going to see two teams and two programs that are run more similarly than dissimilarly. And the culture and the way that the um, student athletes sort of represent that program will reflect that. And so it's it's going to be a little bit like the two Spider-Man pointing meme going on in this game. And, and I think the final score is going to reflect that too. I don't think this is going to be a double-digit margin. One, just because there aren't going to be a whole lot of points being thrown around. But two, you know, these are going to be closely matched teams with, I want to say, a pretty evenly matched play along the trenches. And when that's the case, it really starts to come down to luck where the ball bounces and, you know, how good the decision-making is in the clutch. We we saw that improve a little bit from Deacon Hill against Northwestern. We'll see how, <laughs> with one very large exception anyway. And uh, we'll, we'll see whether or not that's something that actually gets built on or if it's, you know, you know is a signal or is it noise? We'll find that out on Saturday, I think. We've been asking a whole lot of that question for the last six weeks. So going into this one, the over-under is 28 and a half right now, according to ESPN. Um, <laughs> the, spread, the spread is one and a half favoring Iowa. Adam, we always do a final score preview prediction with, with our guests typically going into these games. I mean, what do you think? And of course, we'll we'll have a, a premium board post. If you want to be part of that, be part of the discussion on iowa.rivals.com. You can do that at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe today. 
head over to the premium board and we'll have that ready and available. Adam, what's your final score prediction? You know, I'm thinking a high-powered, high-octane shootout, uh, probably looking at a 42 to 38 at at, at, at halftime, of course, right? Uh, no, no, no. Oh, gosh. This is, I mean, it it really might be something like 0-0 or 3-3 at the half. Um, it's, again, Rutgers is good on defense and, and has depth on defense. Iowa is great on defense. Rutgers pretty good on offense. Iowa a little bit <laughs> struggle bus on offense a little bit. Yeah, I gosh, I'm probably going to say something to the effect of, you know what? Let's get weird. Let's let's just get all the way weird. Iowa eleven, Rutgers five. Safety's everywhere. Okay. Well, I was actually, I literally wrote this before we sat down and Adam and I did not have a conversation about this at all. I said, Iowa 12, Rutgers six. So <laughs> difference. we're both taking the under um, yeah. and Iowa covers. So man, I, I just, I, I was originally, it's so easy to say like at the beginning of the season, I was sticking around like 17, 10 typically for these games, for any Iowa game, really, except for those first few, you know, against Western Michigan, against Utah State. The the right. Big Ten Big Ten games, it was 17-10, something like that, favoring Iowa. And now, as things have worn on, it's just like dipping by a touchdown at least per. So it's it's 12-6 for me, whether that's four field goals for Drew Stevens, Lou Groza Award semifinalist as of today, or a touchdown a safety and a field goal for Drew Stevens and then two field goals for, for Rutgers or a field goal and, and a missed extra point because who the hell knows what's going to happen in the big 10 at the, these days. Yeah, I mean, Ontario Thompson's right there. He can, he can swap with the best of any of them. Who knows? That is true. That is true. Now, uh, as we wrap up talking a little bit about football, we'll, we'll get some basketball talk here as well. National early signing day yesterday for basketball and uh, of course, the the Hawkeyes are one and zero after their 110 to 66 victory over North Dakota the other night. Of course, Alabama State coming to town on Friday, so I, I of course will will be at that one. Adam, obviously, uh, I'm the men's basketball beat writer this year, but you've watched a little bit of the games. With mm-hmm. what I've seen so far, the first thing we have to talk about is the freshman class, is it not? I mean, Owen Freeman oh, looks like a – I said it on Twitter. If Ben Cricky hadn't come into the portal, he'd be starting right now. Laji Dembele is sort of your Josh Hart with a lot more raw tools at his at his uh, bidding. What's the, what's the phrase? Disposal? Disposal. Golly. <laughs> at his disposal. Brock Harding, very composed. We haven't seen a ton of him yet. He was getting up shots after the game against North Dakota, probably because he he thought he could have scored more. And then, of course, Price Sanford being a sharpshooter. They've been they've been everything that that Fran McCaffrey has said and and more. Yeah, that's been very encouraging. You know, when we were at Media Day, uh, Fran made a point of saying multiple times and in multiple ways, all four of these guys are going to play. All four of these guys are capable of starting. Obviously, we're not going to see all four of them in the starting lineup unless something has gone extremely wrong. 
But, you know, the fact that he, before anybody had seen them on the floor, went that far out in front for them, which he didn't have to do, was telling, I thought. And even so, I'm still surprised at how good Owen Freeman has looked in the early going. And, you know, Price, we expected him to look good from the get-go, and he has. And he looks like he fits in with the way this offense runs and, and the way this team does things already. Dembele, Harding, the the gifts are obvious in both instances. And, and they look like by next year, they're going to be starting caliber. So I, you know, it's been one uh, game that counts. And, you know, we, we, we know for a fact that there's going to be struggles, especially against tougher competition. But that's, you know, that's the case with 90% of freshmen, right? This is the point of being on the floor and growing through it and, and all of that. So I'm curious to see how that in-season progression goes. Sometimes it's great. Sometimes it's not. And it's really not easy to predict, especially this early into the year, who's going to, you know, make that leap and, and who might make that leap during the offseason next year or, you know, further on in their career. All four of these guys look like they're either making it or are poised to make it very soon. So, yeah, I, I, I think that should be very exciting to uh, men's basketball fans. And um, and really, I think Fran should be excited about it, too. You know, he he was very he's also. He's a little bit reserved in a lot of instances, especially when he's not like when when there isn't a fresh victory to celebrate but you can tell that he really wanted this class to stand up on its own uh just with all of the talent that he's been losing over the last few years you know good problems to have when you're sending guys to the nba but it's still you know <laughs> yeah you have to find some way to replace them and this class if it sticks together if it stays healthy if everybody you know stays on the right path and you know stays on the court this class does look like it could end up something special and that's that's so exciting there you have it. Got to wrap it up because I got to go watch four-star offensive lineman for East Buchanan, Cody Fox, in the semifinals of Class A here this morning. As you can tell, my scenery is a little bit different, and I don't have a microphone. So I'm in Cedar Falls at the moment watching state playoffs. Got to head over there and get some uh, get a, get a good look at, at Fox for the first time uh, this, this season. Very much looking forward to that. So I'm going to head out and do that. We will wrap it up here. We appreciate you tuning in to this episode of Hotcast brought to you by iowa.rivals.com and go Iowa awesome. If you're not a premium subscriber yet, you can do that today at iowa.rivals.com backslash subscribe. Don't forget to subscribe wherever you're listening as well. That way you don't miss any episodes from us on YouTube, Spotify, Apple Podcasts, etc. Wherever you're listening, drop that rate review as well. That helps us out a lot and it makes us very happy. Hit us with a like on YouTube and then of course, drop your preview your your predictions for this weekend's game against Rutgers for the game for the women tonight against Alabama State tomorrow it is crossover season so drop those comments let us know what you're thinking about the Hawkeyes on the court and on the field so for now my name is Elliot Clough at Elliot Clough on Twitter joined by Adam Jacoby at Adam underscore Jacoby on Twitter and for now we will see you next time